Right to be Red podcast, episode number 122. Interview with Dixie Gillespie. You are listening to the Right to be Red podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Right to be Read podcast, the podcast that inspires and encourages writers. As always, it's me, Ani Alexander from Armenia, and I'm really happy to welcome you, and I'm really happy that you're listening to us now. So I am very excited today because I ended up with really great interview, and today my guest is Dixie Gillespie. Ever since she was a little girl, Dixie's least favorite word was can't. It still is, and she's on a mission to prove that anything is possible for anyone. Her first love is working with entrepreneurs as a coach, consultant, muse, and fire starter. She's good at seeing opportunities where other people see walls, navigating crossroads where other people see dead ends, and helping people connect their passion and purpose to create a powerful presence and increased profit. Dixie contributes to Entrepreneur and Huffington Post and is senior managing editor for the Good Man Project. And I assure you, in this interview, she shares a lot of things that we as writers will need to know and I'm really happy to jump over and start the interview. Hello there Dixie, welcome to the Right to be Read podcast. I'm really happy to have you over. Thank you, Ani. I'm delighted to be here. It's been a pleasure chatting with you already and I'm looking forward to to doing this interview and getting it out to your listeners. Very often it's uh, interview best shows are always relying on the energy and how well the two people click and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely sure that you know this this episode will really be a good one and will rock it <laughs> I, I think so you know the the chemistry is is so much what message and um, memory is about so I think people are gonna have a lot of takeaways yeah I'm sure about that so uh, you know what I, I just want to start from I mean I, I do believe that no one tells a person's story better than the person himself. So mm-hmm. I'll just let, you know, let's start from the very beginning and you'll tell yourself the version of your story that you, my listeners will get acquainted with. And then we will pick up from there. What do you think? Perfect. That's That sounds good. You know, we talked a little bit about how, uh, how scary it can be, honestly, to, to tell some parts of a story. And my story has certainly blossomed, I guess you would say. It's kind of un- unveiling itself sometimes uh, against my will, I might almost say, but of course it isn't. But, um, you know, so much of what we do when we create a message in the world is we draw from our personal story. So I think it's really important in in writing and in crafting a message and in making your impact in the world that you are willing to include that personal story. But um, to kind of start with my personal story as it relates to writing, let's let's start there. Um, I was writing poetry when I was in the second grade, so we won't go back <laughs> that far. <laughs> but I had really the the joke is that I had decided I wasn't going to be a writer. And I specified that 
a writer with a capital W, meaning a professional writer, uh, someone who was known for writing. I was a secret writer with a small W. So <laughs> I continued writing. I still wrote poetry. I still, um, you know, I still journaled. I was still doing professional writing, but um, I wasn't looking to be a writer with a capital W. So um, into that mix came a, a writing mentor I could not have expected, someone whose books I had um, really enjoyed and gotten a lot from in my teenage years. And, and that's a story that I actually told in a, a group work called The Thought That Changed My Life Forever. So, so that story is kind of in there. But as I started doing more writing, um, almost under duress from, from, this, from this mentor who really pushed me on the creative side, I was mostly focused in my professional life on speaking and, um, of course, coaching and consulting in business. And so a lot of people think, oh, wow, you were one of the lucky ones that got discovered. Because what happened in that story is that I actually had a representative from a publishing house attend an event where I was speaking and he was scouting for writers. And he came to me after I spoke and he said, when are you going to write a book? I'd like to talk to you about writing a book. And I said, I don't have time to write a book. I don't, I'm not going to write a book. <laughs> right? It's like the hero's journey. The call came. And I said, no, that call is not for me. Because I actually said, Nathan, I'd be happy to introduce you too. And I had a list. I had a list of people that I knew had these wonderful books in them that needed to come out. And I made introductions and he kind of chuckled. And he continued to show up kind of on the sidelines of my life and say, when are you going to write a book? <laughs> Until about two years later, he sponsored an event that I was doing here in St. Louis, Missouri. And he came to that event as a sponsor. And he is a quiet, gentle, but obviously um, persistent gentleman. And he said again, when are you going to write a book? Nathan, I don't have any desire to write a book. I, it's not on my radar. I'm too busy to write a book. And finally, of course, he got me to write a book. But the important thing about that story, as funny as it sounds, because I do everything backwards. If you ask my personal story and say, can I do it the way you did it? I'm almost always going to say just reverse the order. But in this case, the order is really important to people out there who want to write. Most of us want to write because we have something inside we want to share. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's the key thing. If you don't have anything inside that matters to you, that you want to share into the world, then writing is going to be really, really hard work for you. If you have something inside that you really, really want to share, it's going to be hard. It's going to be effort. It's going to be, you know, sometimes it feels like tearing open an onion instead of letting the rose blossom. But it's not necessarily work. If you have something inside that you really want to share, then the first step that I tell people isn't really the writing. It's the getting comfortable sharing. So the important thing about my story that I want people to really focus on is that the reason that I got a publisher was because I already had reach and impact and I had something inside I really wanted to share. So he heard me share a message from the stage. I was already creating reach with that message. And he just wanted the book. It's like if you went to, you know, you heard a band perform and you were a, you know, recording studio scout and you said, I really want to get them into the studio. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, that they didn't do the work. It's not that they just got lucky. They've been doing the work, honing their craft and their art and their talent. 
And then someone said, I want to capture that. So that was really what happened was, you know, he heard what I had to say, what was inside that I needed to get out. And he knew I had already created considerable reach with that, that I had a fairly wide platform and a lot of uh, a lot of people who already knew what I was about. They already knew what my message was about and they knew what I was here to see in the world. Um, I was already known as, you know, the the Dixie Dynamite, you know, blow up brick walls, <laughs> helping people get those can'ts out of the way. So as people are writing and as people are listening to what you and I talk about today, I hope that they're focused on message and platform, which is really reach and impact because that's where all good business begins. Oh, yeah. Well, amazing. So basically, you kind of, you know, uh, you know, it's it's like harder I work, luckier I get. So it wasn't really about luck. It was about, you know, just having that moment when everything you've done up to then kind of brought the fruits of, of your hard work and of your kind of, you know, building up the audience and sharing the message because it's kind of, you know, the book was yet another way of sharing that same message, right? That's so right. In fact, the book, again, I do everything backwards, right? So the book was drawn largely from, I had multiple recordings of the keynote that I I was doing. And I had interviews that I had done. They weren't really interviews. They were more like dialogues, just chats that I had had with some of the mentors and, and important people in my life. I had all this audio material and I had a lot of it transcribed and I started pulling together. And it was almost like I had the the rough pieces for a quilt, if you will. And it, it came together into this beautiful pattern, um, which is why everybody says, why did you write the book in such short chapters? And it's really because it, we'll talk about writing for large sites and we'll talk about articles, but it really comes down to one of my philosophies that people remember ideas. Yeah, People remember ideas, not words. So I really wanted to write a book so that every piece that you read even if you just open it in the middle and and read, my my life partner and, and sweetheart is has so much fun handing my book to people and saying, open to a random page and tell me what you read because there's context within each chapter. And that's just the way that I write. That that's not a formula necessarily that is is uh is the best formula for anyone, but it really gave me the the raw material for all these ideas that all culminated in Basically, how do you get rid of those brick walls? How do you stop saying what I really want to do is, but I can't because. Um, and so that's that's how that book came into the world. Okay, so basically with this book and with your message, you're kind of crushing that can't and that mental kind of obstacles that come on our way to, to get where we want to be, right? That's it. That's exactly what the book is about. It's, it's really my coaching process for people who who have that statement, um, you know, there, there are really three points in our entrepreneurial journey. And believe me, anybody who wants to write a book, and um, unless they're just writing it for their own satisfaction, but wants to craft a business and a living around the message that they're birthing into the world, they're an entrepreneur. So that, yeah. that has different faces, but they're an entrepreneur. And the entrepreneurial journey has three 
um, points that we will go through it several times. So there, there are three things that we will face on our journey over and over and over. And one is what I think of as the crossroads, you know, the, the mm-hmm. indecision, the what do I do next? And, and in a business that shows up as, you know, what's my business model? What services am I going to provide? How am I going to provide them? What am I going to charge for them? Um, and then there's this, okay, I decided what I was going to do. And the next thing I know, I said, this is what I want to do. And there's this brick wall. There's this, you can't do that because, and sometimes there's a whole series, you know, there's oh, a yeah. maze of yeah. brick walls, right? And so people next, around you will be so happy and so fast providing different <laughs> reasons for that, right? That's, <laughs> that's one thing I cover in the book is why do the people that love us the most build the biggest walls? What is with that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because they do. And, and you know, I have so much compassion for them because I catch myself sometimes wanting to do it. It's one of the things that I think, you know, having, whether it's a mastermind group or a coach or a consultant or, you know, a really good friend who's able to be objective, those are, those are rare, but someone who isn't invested in your life is so important because they're less likely to build those really loving, really thick walls <laughs> around you that they think are protecting you, but they're really holding you back. Um, so that's the next kind of um, challenge that we face in our entrepreneurial journey generally is, is we run into those brick walls. And then the last one, and really kind of where we started our conversation, Ani, is, is okay, we've decided what we want to do. We know how we want to provide value in the world, and we're learning how to, to navigate those crossroads and blow up the brick walls. And then it comes time to reveal that value. Oh, yeah. you know. And that's the phase I've been in really for the last two, three years is we talked about personal story. There's a lot in my personal story I didn't talk about until about three years ago. Um, you know, I grew up, I will not say I grew up in an abusive household because it wasn't frequent, it wasn't regular, but when it happened, it was severe and it included rape. So that's a hard thing to say as a, you know, uh, a, a woman raised, especially in in the time period that I did and raised in what was basically a Christian cult and you know, there's, it's really hard to say I was raped from the time I was eight to the time I was 13. So unveiling how you became who you are, unveiling the story, you know, if you will, the backstory behind what you bring into the world and saying, this is part of what made me who I am. This is part of what made me strong. This is part of what gave me the insights that I have mm-hmm. is that next point. And I've watched myself, my clients, I've watched people that I admire from afar, and they're always repeating that cycle of those three points. You know, they'll unveil a little more of their value and their personal story, and they'll have some success, but then they have to remodel their business. They have to remodel their message. So they reach the crossroads point yet again. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they pass through that crossroads, there are more brick walls that, you know, but as we learn how how to conduct ourselves on that journey. We come, be, become better heroes is the way I see it. We become better at the hero journey. Um, oh, yeah. You know, those things do get easier, but they will always come up. And for a writer, every one of those points is fodder for creating value in the world. You know, just, I, I have clients now, they're just like, I used to think, oh, this is so hard. And now I think when I come out the other side of this, it's going to make some great writing material. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. So, you know, once you survive and go out of that tunnel, you kind of, you know, you become stronger and can write better things and stronger, which have stronger impact, I suppose. That's a, that's a good way to put it. You know, when we write about what make, made us stronger, 
we really encourage other people to find their own hidden strength as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. So let's just imagine, I mean, because uh, for me, it's it's very interesting. I meet many people who love writing and write on regular basis. They kind of, you know, they keep a journal, they write different creative pieces. And, you know, they, they really kind of have this passion of writing and they are writing quite often. But, mm -hmm. you know, when, when I talk to them about writing a book, for example, they say, no, I can't write. I can't be a writer. Although they do mm -hmm. it already because they, I mean, writers write, right? It's just kind of, you know, they already do that and they already write anyway. But, you know, they have this can't thing and they have this mental brick wall and they don't think that they write good enough to be called writers or to kind of even think about pursuing that as a career or as something stronger and bigger than a hobby. So since you're like kind of, you know, the the guru of breaking the cans, <laughs> let's talk about these people who, who basically are already doing what, what I'm just asking them to do, but they, they end up with a can and they stop pursuing something bigger out of it. Mm -hmm. What should they do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there are so many reasons that people say they can't. And, and in, in the book, Just Blow It Up, I talk about naming the demons. You know, there's the old superstition that says if you knew a demon's name, you had control over the demon. And to a large extent, our demons, you know, our fears are our demons. And when we name them, a lot of times we have control over them. And it's not usually about what it's about. So you'll have people, Ani, that are telling you, I can't write a book because I'm afraid of what will happen if I reveal my personal story. I can't write a book because I'm afraid I'm not a good enough writer. I can't write a book because I'm afraid if I take that time away from producing income for my family, that that's irresponsible of me. I can't write. So... There are mm -hmm. so many different types of brick walls. And actually, just, just blow it up, I break them down into four types of walls. And I have yet to find an I can't statement that doesn't fit one of those four categories, um, which is kind of interesting because once you can kind of say, okay, it's that kind of brick wall, then you have a process for addressing it. But the other thing that I know is a lot of times what they're saying is their can't, is not the true can't. So the person who says... I'm not a good enough writer. It would be irresponsible of me to take time away from my work, my income producing job, my stability um, and, and my responsibility to my family or my community may have a secret fear, unadmitted even to him or her, herself, that once they bring that into the world and it's there, then they can't, you know, they, they can't deal with that being out in the world. Oh, yeah. I will tell you one of my fears, and people are surprised when I tell them this, but it was a huge fear for me, and it continues to be a demon that I have to name and, and battle regularly, is that books have had such power in my life. So one of the things that I didn't talk about, even when I was originally doing the keynotes um, about it, I used to say that there was a book that changed my life at 14. What I should have been saying had I been willing to reveal it was there was a book that saved my life at 14. I had two suicide attempts under my belt. I was rather inept at suicide, thank goodness. But there was a book that literally changed my mind about whether or not I wanted to stay on this planet. Books have a lot of power. So one of my greatest fears was if I write a book and it has that kind of power, 
what have I brought into the world? How am I impacting other people? It seemed like a huge responsibility. Still does. Every article I write, and I write now, of course, for Entrepreneur, and I write and edit for the Good Men Project and, and all that. Every time I even write an article, I'm thinking, what impact am I having? Is it responsible of me to say this? So for, for a long time, I said, I'm not a good enough writer. I have very high standards. You know, I've, I've read and learned from the best and I know I'm not that good. And my true fear was, I don't think I'm ready to have that much power mm. in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's it's really powerful. I mean, when you're looking back at things you've read, no matter whether it's nonfiction or fiction, it's just, you know, the, the, the good books always have strong impact and print food on your soul and on your thinking and on the way you feel while reading the thing and stuff like that so it's it's always very powerful and very strong usually mm. and you know i i mean it's very difficult for me for example to judge a writing in a sense whether it's good or bad uh i mean grammatically stylistically and stuff like that because especially when I'm reading in English because English is not my native tongue Mm -hmm. but how I'm kind of distinguishing the good book from the bad one is you know if it just passes me by and I don't really either recall it or you know I don't see any impact on me I just, you know, I, I, I think that it wasn't written well. If if it didn't mm-hmm. touch me in any aspect and in any way, it means it wasn't strong enough, I guess. So that's kind of one of my criterias to kind of <laughs> to try to understand whether the book was good or not. And it's a beautiful point. And that's really, you know, you think about art of any type, whether it's performance art, whether it's visual art, um, or whether it's the written word. It's so much about whether or not you made an impact. So having, you know, good skill and craft is important. And obviously I do notice those things. It's almost a curse because as an editor and someone who does read a lot, um, you know, I, I read and I see things and it, and it makes me flinch. <laughs> <laughs> and I know other people wouldn't be as aware of it. But the truth is that we hone our craft in order to present our art. So art is first. And I, and I would tell your, your, your listeners, every single one of them, to think about first, what is your art? What is it that you're bringing to the experience of someone reading your work? So it's just exactly what you said. What are people going to feel? What are they going to take away Is it going to entertain? Is it going to enlighten? Is it going to inspire? Is it going to educate? What is your purpose Mm -hmm. for your art? And then you can hone your craft. But if you haven't truly experienced the art in it first, honing the craft, I'm back to it's just hard work. It's just hard work if it's not coming from your heart. Yeah, I mean, I I presume it could be something like writing a report for work or for university or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's a, you know, unexciting, dry kind of thing that you just have to do and you, you just put it together and hand it over. <laughs> I see so many business people that approach writing a book that way. They They're told that you have to have a book. It's part of your platform. You need, you know, it's almost like a call. It's a very expensive calling card. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's like, here, here's my book, you know, instead of my card. And they approach it as 
here's my outline. Here's what has to go in the book. Here's the chapters I have to write. Everything's have to. Yeah. If you approach your work from a standpoint of want to, what do I want the reader to take away? And there's nothing you have to do except meet your own desire. Yeah, exactly. And I think the process would be much more exciting and, and we'll have much better results at the end. I think so. But then I'm, I'm definitely biased, but I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, since you mentioned that you're editor, I, I just wanted to kind of touch this point in a sense that, um, you know, uh, I, I already told about like grammar, spelling mistakes, stylistical mm. stuff and things like that. So uh, I, I have heard it many, many times uh, from different people saying that, you know, you should be a very good storyteller. You should use your passion. You should come up with a really nice, you know, story and making that story kind of sound better and be correct in terms of reading, in terms of language that don't worry, the editor would deal with that. So I was just wondering, um, you know, to which level good quality should the initial text that goes to the editor be and how almighty the editor is actually, you know, whether he could kind of, you know, create a really good polished text out of pretty much anything or not? Mm, depends on the editor and it depends on how well the editor gets you. Um, so let's let's start with first, don't ever abdicate to an editor. You're delegating, you're not abdicating. So you're, you're going to delegate some of the judgment and some of the even just suggestions to someone who has a talent for making good writing better. But you're not abdicating the responsibility. You're not just handing it off and saying, you are now responsible for my work. Um, so keep yourself in the process. Give them the best that you've got and trust that person to make it better. There are really two types of editing in a, in a high-level sense. You have someone who is going to make the story better, which means they're going to make it more evocative. They're going to make it more captivating. They're going to make it more clear. So that's a story editor um, in general terms. And then you might have someone who's editing for grammar. Typically, if you're working with a traditional publishing house, they'll have somebody edit for grammar. They won't necessarily have somebody working as a story editor with you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some people are excellent at both. I will say I'm a better story editor than I am a grammatical editor. I'm, you know, I, I know obviously enough about grammar to make it work for me, but I'm not a, a grammatical editor. Um, I'm, I'm more of a, a, a co-conspirator in the story, if mm -hmm. you will. So even when I get submissions for the Good Men Project, and I'm one of those editors who will take something that's really raw, I still don't want the writer to just abdicate it, to just spell out words on the page and trust me to make the story work. Mm -hmm. What I want them to do is to make the story work as best they can for this, for the level that they're at right now. I will certainly rework it. I mean, I, I do heavy editing. I'll move, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll move paragraphs around. I'll, I'll really, you know, take it apart and, and help them put it back together. But I want that writer to learn from that. It's one of the, the blessings of working with a good editor. And, and I have to say my editor at Entrepreneur is one of the best I've worked with in my career, writing for print or online. Um, and I learn from every little change he makes. So that's the thing I would say. Anybody who's writing for 
publications at this point or who wants to, the key is not just what do you turn into your editor? It's that if you're, you have the privilege of working with an editor who really cares about making your work better, that you learn from every choice they make about your work. Mm-hmm. And I think that working with the editor is a big advantage in a sense that you end up discovering things about your writing you would not notice otherwise, right? Very true. Very true. You, some of the things that you think were the, you know, the takeaways, the, the sound bites, if you will, um, may not be what your editor chooses to highlight. Mm-hmm. And what they chose to highlight is much more what your reader would take away or what would be meaningful to the story. Um, there's there's a line about coaching that I think is true about everything that says you cannot see the picture when you're in the frame. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to have somebody else contributing to our writing because we can't really see it from from the reader's perspective. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and especially when you are writing a longer pieces like a book or a novel and you know a longer stuff you've been mm-hmm. inside for so long that you know sometimes you end up thinking that it's clear but it's clear to you but not for the reader so, that's right especially yeah. when you're writing fiction or anything that involves character development we get inside our, our characters heads ah, you know, yeah. we we kind of know what's going on in there if it's not clear in the writing the reader won't know what's going on in there yeah yeah exactly yeah I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So since we spoke about big publications and writing for publications, so let's let's move into that. I mean, when I interviewed Kimansi, he was kind of, you know, he wasn't such a big name as he is now mm. because I did it quite a while ago. Great. But, um, but uh, he also mentioned that, you know, he really tapped into new audiences and he grew his own audience by writing for bigger websites. So mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to find out, let's say, you know, we have a bunch of newbie writers who are just starting and of course they don't have an audience in place yet uh, but they enjoy writing and they do it quite regularly so what are like you know how may they end up in bigger websites how I mean where do you start do you kind of you know pitch your idea for the blog post or do you write it and send it out I mean how does it work very few publications are going to entertain a um, a conceptual pitch. You know, just a here's my here's my story idea. Um, there are some that do have you do that. They'll they'll have you fill out a here's what I write about. Here's what I would want a column or or my author page to reflect. But most of them want to see a prepared article. Um, so you know, I started. It's interesting. I started writing for print when I was still a dental consultant. So I was a medical management consultant and started about 20 odd years ago. And um, the big highlight in my career at, at that point was to get to write for dental economics, which doesn't mean a thing to most people, but it's the most widely read dental management publication in the United States. Um, what's hilarious is they just... Um, started publishing in Arabic and I just got a notification about four or five months ago that one of my articles from dental economics that came out 
15 years ago or more, um, was, was being uh, used in the, the first publication. So, so words, have, <laughs> words have life. They will stick around for a long time. But even then, when I, when I pitched to Dental Economics, they didn't want a, here's my idea. They wanted an article. Um, and that's true for, for even most of the print uh, work that I do today, unless they come to you. Sometimes, you know, once you have a, a platform and a name, they come to you and they say, we would like for you to work this this up. Or we saw you, I get a lot now because I wrote an article um, for Entrepreneur about millennials. And so I get a lot of people pitching me. We want you to write this about millennials. I just interviewed somebody from Adobe recently um, about millennials and email marketing. So that can happen. But for the most part, you want to have a prepared article um, to send, you probably know Kamanzi and I taught a, a four week course on mm-hmm. how, how to basically how to write, how to craft your writing for large publications, how to submit to large publications, how to leverage that with large publications and, and really then how to leverage it in your own work so that you're using that platform for something. Cause most of these opportunities are not paid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do some articles for pay at this point, but that takes a while to build up to. So, you know, you're not, you're not going to make money necessarily writing for large publications, but you can certainly build your career, your platform and your opportunities in, in huge ways writing for large publications. Um, and that's, that's something that I encourage all of my clients to do, even if, you know, they're, they're not wanting to be a writer. They just have a message and they, they need to build a platform. So even, even people who don't want to, to, to write a book can still benefit in a, in a big way for writing from large publications. So I always tell people the first thing is mastering the message. Mm-hmm. It's really about that, that crafting, polishing, targeting, and branding your message, which will tell you who you need to submit to. So for me, people say, why aren't you writing for ink? Mm-hmm. I've had an, I've had an invitation. Ink is not my audience. It's it's not my target audience. So I might write for them occasionally. That's work and effort I could be putting into writing for someone who might have a smaller platform, but a larger percentage of the people in their audience are my people. You mm-hmm. know, I, I want to write for my tribe, not for the magazine that has the most readership. So the first thing I always tell them is is know your message. No, we, you know, we can call it an avatar. We can call it your, your, you know, your bullseye market. We, I, I can teach that using so many analogies, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is there are some people that will read your work and, and be moved. And there's some people, as you were talking about earlier, you know, when you read something and you kind of put it down, you go, okay, I really didn't get anything out of that. Yeah. And even if it was great writing, you still don't think it was a good book because you didn't get anything out of it. Well, the same is true for articles. If you want to be read and you want to develop a following with that publication, you want to make sure the publication matches um, your message and that, that they're, they're basically, they have a readership that's going to be responsive to what you have to say. Um, so that's, that's the first step is making sure that what you're submitting matches the audience that you're submitting it for. Okay, yeah, because that's when you will leverage, actually, you will, I mean, getting traffic back to your site from people who are not really your audience. I mean, it makes no sense. Even if they come, they will leave immediately because they will see what you offer is not for them, right? And think about those large websites. The Goodman Project puts out in excess of 30 posts per day. 
most of the larger sites put out that many or more. So I actually, and, and Kamanzi does too, you know, he started that journey writing um, a guest post for Michael Hyatt. Um, and he's written some guest posts on some private blogs like that that are not media outlets. Mm-hmm. They're private blogs, but they accept guest posts. Those can be so huge because of the targeting of the audience. So if you know someone who's a, a, a blogger that has a huge platform, a uh, big readership, especially if they have people subscribed via email that are getting email notifications when a, when a post goes live, that might be a better, you know, it doesn't have the bragging rights maybe of mm-hmm. getting into Entrepreneur or Inc. or Forbes or whatever, but you're not writing for bragging rights, I don't, th- I don't think. You're, you're writing for people, you know, you're writing to be read, exactly what the, what the podcast says. So, so if you're writing to be read, then look at guest blogs before you look at big media sites. You know, everybody wants to get into the Huffington Post. Do you know I have a blogger account with HuffPost? I almost mm-hmm. never use <laughs> My audience is not there and they publish so much stuff that I'm not, I'm going to get drowned out. Oh, yeah. Getting a, a following there would be would be difficult. And frankly, that's not what I'm pursuing right now. But entrepreneur, when they came back and said, do you want two columns a week instead of one? I said, hey, I'll take an option on a second column. My readership is there. They respond to me. I get emails. I get direct messages on Twitter. I get Facebook messages through my my uh, business page. So I know where my audience is and I'll double down on my efforts there. Okay. So really yeah. think about that. So uh, let's let's talk about the following in this case. When you're writing guest posts and you're actually, uh, most probably the readers of that post will be the ones who read you for the very first time, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. in that case, uh, how important is to incorporate your personal story in that, in the mm-hmm. message? I think it's so important. It it really, you know, my, my editor at Entrepreneur wrote to me recently and he said, every article you write, people get to know you a little better, which means they get to know themselves a little better. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think I saw that uh, on your Facebook. <laughs> you see status. why I yeah, love yeah. <laughs> having a great editor when he makes points like that, because he not only makes my work better, he makes my mind better. Um and that is so much why I tell people to incorporate personal story into their writing, even when it's a business platform, because through us getting to know ourselves and revealing ourselves that that last challenge that I talked about on the entrepreneurial journey um, and on, on that that kind of hero cycle for the entrepreneur, the more you reveal of not only what you do and do well, but why you do it. What allows you to do it? What tough spots in the road you came through to hone that strength? You know, the the what doesn't kill me made me stronger. Mm. Well, here's what didn't kill me, and this is how it made me stronger. That personal story gives them that know, like, and trust. You know, one of one of my good friends and and earliest mentors, and somebody I just have no end of respect for, is Bob Burke, and he calls it the golden rule of business: all things being equal. People will do business with and refer business to people they know, like, and trust. Your articles are your opportunity to make people feel like they know you, they like you, they trust you. That's when they hire you. And if you're not sharing anything of personal story, then they might trust your expertise, but they have no reason to feel like they know you, like you, and trust you as a person. Mm -hmm. So personal story really 
is how you pull those people in to that relationship with you. Oh, yeah. And I think that's why James Altucher is doing so well, because he's kind of, I never met someone who could actually reveal the personal story so much <laughs> like he does. It's like he's you know, transparent about very how extreme. he sees the world. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. very extreme about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's let in this case kind of, you know, try to understand. You said that you had this same challenge about opening up and revealing mm. yourself and, and having your story in your writing. So what was, uh, what helped you most in actually overcoming that last barrier? You know, one of the things that I teach um, when, I, when I work with clients individually or in groups is that your greatest power comes from your me too story. So the stories that you tell that people respond by saying, oh, me too, me too, right? Because mm-hmm. if they have that response to our story, then we have reach, relatability, um, we're contextual for them. And as I would talk about you know, and, and, and it kind of really was like this very slow blossoming of, of a flower. At first I said, I had a difficult childhood. And then I said, I grew up in a strict religious household. And then I said, um, I had some abuse in my childhood and I grew up in a cult. And then I said, okay, I was beaten severely and nearly died at one point in my childhood. And I was raped when I was from the time I was eight to the time I was 13. So it, it unveiled itself. But what I realized with each unveiling was that more people said me too. And it, it was both comforting and horrifying mm, to yeah. realize that my story was in no way, in no way unusual. Um, and I realized that, you know, I, I used to, I didn't want sympathy. I still don't. I don't, I don't need it. I'm really, really fine. But I was, I had this fear that if I told my story, people would see me as weak or people would see me as damaged or people would see me as needing their sympathy. And then I realized it was how I told my story. So it's all in how you tell your story. So now when people say me too, they're saying I went through something that's similar to what you went through and you're fine and you're strong and you have a beautiful life. There's hope. Mm, yeah, I see. But it, I mean, it takes enormous amount of courage, I can presume, because it's kind of, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a, it, most probably it's one of the most difficult barriers to overcome. Maybe that's I why it's the last think one. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> You know, I, I think everybody's story takes courage to unveil. I used to think my story was horrific to other people. It really wasn't to me. Um but I thought other people would just recoil in horror. And so I thought it was really hard for me to unveil and that, you know, it, it was in some way special in its difficulty. And what I realized that everybody who has a personal story has some of that same stuff that it's wrapped in. You know, I always laugh and say my gifts um, came wrapped in burlap and, and barbed wire. <laughs> Um, the, the wrapping paper wasn't pretty, but which is why it's so important to get it off of there. Right. Mm -hmm. But the gifts were everyone's greatest gifts come disguised in some way. And it's hard. Every, everybody needs that courage to get that wrapping paper off of it and to reveal the gift. And I don't think 
you know, what, what I've done is any more difficult than what anybody else does when they reveal their personal story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see. So I guess it's like, you know, after overcoming different cans and different brick walls, this stage is the most difficult one for everyone, I guess. And that's why it it comes at the end. <laughs> <laughs> the the unveiling, the, the revealing yeah. that, you know, kind of that hidden heart of where your value comes from. It is. Um, it, and, and part of the reason it's difficult is because when you do that, every time you do that, you realize there's always more, you know, and, and oh, you, yeah. you always know you're starting that cycle again, that having revealed that you're back at a crossroads point. Um, I'm doing some major rework of my brand and my business model and my services right now because of the last three years of revealing, 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 I came back to a crossroads point. And as I'm moving through that, certainly I'm facing some brick walls and I, I know that cycle just continues, but it continues so that we can bring more value to the world. Okay. Yeah, I see. Well, I guess to, I mean, uh, we will have many listeners who might need um, your help and mm -hmm. might want to check out your books because all we spoke about is, I mean, we covered a lot, but I, I'm, I'm sure there is so much more to reveal and find out and go through. So uh, tell us where our listeners can find you and, um, you know, where they should go to to get in touch. Well, you know, as I always joke, my second home is on Facebook. Um, that's not entirely true, but it is for you and I connected. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we did. Um, so certainly, you know, I'm easy to find on Facebook. But but in terms of professional avenues for, for finding more and for learning more, uh, my website is simply DixieGillespie.com. So that'll be easy. Um, if you're if anyone's interested in going through the work that Kamanzi and I did together, we are um, now offering that as, as a self-study course. We've compiled the recordings from the live course and put together materials so that people can can walk through it on their own because we're not sure when we will teach it live again. So people can go to Ripples to Waves. So that's Ripples and then towaves.com and look into that if you're serious about getting your work out on some, some large outlets and learning to master the message and, and get the opportunity to, uh, to publish on some media sites. Um, and... Um, the, the biggest thing that I would ask people to take away isn't so much a website. It is the, the thought that whatever you've been through and whatever you want to share with the world has value. The important thing is finding the people it has value for. So mm -hmm. w whatever avenue, you know, whether it's listening to this podcast, which is terrific, by the way, um, or other podcasts, whether it's, you know, reading the people that you admire, whether it's subscribing to, you know, blogs or media sites, um, it's really about finding that, that heart of your value and finding your way to revealing it to the people that can learn from it and grow from it and enrich their lives from it. Yeah, amazing. Well, my prediction that it would be a great interview and episode, podcast episode, kind of, you know, was true. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you had your crystal ball at the ready, I can tell. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had a really a great time. Thanks a lot for coming over. I'm sure the listeners got tons of value from your wisdom. So thanks a Thank lot you. for sharing your story. Thanks a lot for talking about things which, you know, I'm sure that many people out there now will be saying me too. Ah, I hope so. And I hope they find their own hope and their own answers. Thank you, Ani. Thank you. Well, it seems like that was it for today. I truly hope that you have enjoyed the interview. And if you have, please do me a favor and leave a review on iTunes and also subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you don't miss out anything that will be coming up soon. Well, take care, keep writing. And as always, I will meet you in the next episode, which will be coming up next week. Have a great weekend. Take care.